Today, I'm thinking of three letters. P-O-Y. Yep, P-O-Y as in Person of the Year. This year, 2013, Time Magazine chose, and I'm sure you all know this by now because it was announced last Wednesday, Pope Francis as their Person of the Year. Yes, Pope Francis joined the ranks of the likes of Mahatma Gandhi, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, the Apollo 8 astronauts, Mark Zuckerberg, Barack Obama, Hitler, Stalin, and the Ayatollah Khomeini. Yes, Hitler, Stalin, and Khomeini were chosen as Men of the Year in 1938, 1939, 1942, and 1979, respectively. Yes, that's because Stalin got it twice, in 1939 and then again in 1942. Since the feature began in 1927, with Charles Lindbergh being chosen, the magazine has featured two popes, John XXIII in 1962 and John Paul II in 1994. In the last 86 years, the magazine has also featured groups or even ideas or objects as their person of the year. In 1982, the computer was featured, and in 1988, the endangered earth was featured. The list also includes the American Fighting Man, featured in 1950, the Hungarian Freedom Fighter in 1956, U.S. Scientists in 1960, American Women in 1975, the Whistleblowers in 2002, and the Peacemakers, a group that includes Nelson Mandela and Yasser Arafat, in 1993. The Person of the Year list also includes every single president of the United States, with the exception of Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, and Gerald Ford, and has only featured four women, Wallace Simpson in 1936, Sung Mei Ling of China in 1937, Queen Elizabeth II in 1952, and Corazon Aquino of the Philippines in 1986. Since 1998, Time Magazine runs an online poll to decide the person of the year, but does not abide by the results, claiming that the decision on who the magazine recognizes is made independently of this poll by the magazine's editors, which is why Hugo Chavez did not win in 2006. Instead, another controversial choice was featured, and that was you. Yes, you. You, you and me and all people for advancing the information age by using the internet. But this year, Pope Francis is chosen as their person of the year. The feature is supposed to profile a person or group idea or object that, for better or for worse, has done the most to influence the events of the year. I guess if that means that Pope Francis has had the greatest impact on the world, that's a good thing. And if it brings attention to the church, and if it gives people hope, hope about the church, and brings them back to the church, then it's also a good thing. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Before we get going, we have to announce two winners. Congratulations to 
Norma Fernandez and Maria Amarati. Norma Fernandez, you want a copy of Mark Mallet's Here You Are. And Maria Amarati, you want a copy of Mark Mallet's Vulnerable. If you haven't already, please contact us to claim your prize, radio at saltandlighttv.org. And to be sure that you're on the list to win a prize, visit us at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and stay connected with your name and your email address. That's all we need. Today, our public relations expert, Danny Torquia, is back to teach us what makes a perfect media kit. And in our second half hour, we will be speaking with a defense attorney on the Mary Wagner case. Mary Wagner is a pro-life activist in Ontario who has been arrested six times. This time, the lawyer, Dr. Charles Lugosi, is arguing that she is defending lives. And for that, they have to prove that human beings are human beings from the time of conception. And he is going to be explaining all that to us in about half an hour. And we also have a featured chat with one of the members of the Spanish rock group Voz del Desierto, Voice of the Desert. It is a group that includes three priests. And so we will be speaking with Father Alberto Raposo about their work and their music. But first, we begin with one of their songs. This one is called Ruth, which means Ruth, as in the Old Testament character. From their album, Me Vuelves a Levantar, or You Pick Me Up Again. Llega la desgracia, que siempre Una se aventaja, solo dos ya no son tres. Vuelvete a tu casa y quédate. Todos La Voz del Desierto with Ruth from their album Me Vuelves a Levantar. The song is based on the beautiful passage from the book of Ruth, Where You Go, I Will Go. And we're going to be speaking with Father Alberto, one of the guitar players of the group, in our second half hour. And in about 15 minutes, PR tips with Danny Torquia. But first, Alicia is here with our news. 
Wow, Pedro, la voz del, del desierto. I remember I them from Spain. I know, yeah. they're very well known. Yes, it's going to be a good interview. Yeah, that, that'll be great. So let's turn to what's going on here now. You spoke about it in your opening commentary, the big P-O-Y. story this week. Yeah, <laughs> it was burning up Twitter and Facebook feeds. Pope Francis is Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Now, many people are expressing relief that Miley Cyrus or Ted Cruz were not chosen. Relief. Yes. Brains were definitely deployed. Time says they picked Pope Francis because in only nine months, he has breathed new life into the church, opened the windows, let in the fresh air, and given people hope. The clincher is he hasn't just given hope to Catholics. People who were nominally Catholic and felt that they didn't quite fit in suddenly feel like the door is open to them. But atheists are also connecting with Pope Francis's call to take care of the weak, the sick, the poor, and the lonely. And nobody else has caused such a change, even just a shift in mood, in this past year. Absolutely. It's amazing. Yes. It really is. It is is wonderful. Speaking of the weak and the poor, Caritas International has launched a new campaign to end hunger. Now, the premise of this campaign is that there is enough food on this planet to feed everyone, but still people are going hungry and people are dying Mm -hmm. in certain parts of the world. The campaign kicked off this past Tuesday with a wave of prayer and none other than the person of the year, Pope Francis himself, started the wave with a video message. So Caritas organizations around the world are developing uh, initiatives that they can use at the local level. So the first thing you can do is pray Mm -hmm. to end hunger. Next, you can get more details about the campaign and about these local initiatives. Um, You can visit food.caritas.org. Um, CAFOD, however, the Caritas UK branch, has a list of concrete suggestions, things you can do every day, what you can change in your daily life to help end hunger. So for that, you visit CAFOD, C-A-F-O-D, dot org, dot UK for a list of these suggestions. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so it's amazing to think that, yeah, it's a huge problem, but there are things we can do every day. Mm -hmm. And then, Pedro, while you were in Venezuela... Yes, partying. Working, working <laughs> hard. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, there's a color. I see a darker color than when you left. <laughs> yeah, it was hot. <laughs> Anyways, while well, you were in Venezuela, the Council of Cardinals met at the Vatican, and on the last day of their meeting, Cardinal Sean O'Malley of Boston arrived at the press office, right? Held a press briefing and announced that Pope Francis is creating a commission for the protection of minors. Now, details are still scarce at this point. It was just decided. We know that the eight cardinals made the suggestion during their meetings with Pope Francis. The Pope took a night to sleep on it, Jesuit discernment, and then the next morning he told the cardinals he was accepting their proposal. So we also know it will look at what pastoral initiatives are needed to help victims heal. Cardinal Mm -hmm. O'Malley said there's a lot on the judicial aspect, but very little on the pastoral aspect. Yes. That's where we fall short, and that's why P. 
people end up hurt and Absolutely. embittered. Absolutely. Um, the commission will also look at the current norms for dealing with abuse and how bishops cooperate with civil authorities. But Cardinal O'Malley said it will always be the bishop's responsibility to report to the civil authorities any allegations. The Holy See is trying to provide some best practices, though, for all bishops. And that that's something that happened a little bit a little bit longer, a little bit further back than the person of the year thing. But people yes. are still talking about that of because it, it's it's so huge and so needed. It is. It is needed. And a lot of people are hurting. So that's good to know. Mm-hmm. More pastoral, less judicial. I like it. <laughs> Thank you, Alicia. Alicia Ambrosio, our Salt and Light Hour news producer. You can watch Alicia on Vatican Connections every Friday, 8 p.m., Eastern on Salt and Light TV and also on demand at saltandlighttv.org. You can also follow her on Twitter at Vati Connections. Just make sure you write in and send your comments. Hi, this is Jackie Francois, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and our Facebook page is facebook.com slash slradio1. Tell us what you think of what we're doing. We need your comments. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew, how are you today? Oh, man, we're in the middle of Advent. Can't wait for Christmas. Oh, yes. I feel like a little child. I actually like Advent, you know, kind of more than Christmas. And, and But it's already, you know, people have been playing Christmas music for a month now. Yeah, exactly. Advent. Yes. Latin for Adventus. Meaning, Adventus. Uh, to, to come here. Yes. Who I- who is our saint? Do we have an uh, Advent saint? Saint John of the Cross. Oh, I like him. Yeah, exactly. His feast day today, actually. Uh, Saturday, December the 14th, so Uh I thought we'd take a look at him. And then, uh, in a little bit of a celebratory mood, uh, we'll uh, look at Christmas Saints in our next week's yes, episode. So make excellent. sure you, cre- you tune the, into that. The Christmas edition. Okay, so, St. John, John of the Cross. Who is he? What does he do? Yeah. Uh, he was born in Spain in 1542. Mm-hmm. Uh, John learned the importance of self-sacrificing love from his parents. Uh, his father was wealthy. He gave up wealth, status, and comfort when he married a weaver's daughter and was disowned by his, by his noble family. After his father died, his mother kept the family together as they wandered homeless. Really? In search of work. These were the examples of sacrifice that John followed with his own great love. Uh-huh. And that love was God the Father. When the family finally found work, John still went hungry in the middle of the wealthiest city in Spain. Right. At 14, John took a job caring for hospital patients um, who suffered from a whole wealth of diseases and, and, and mental illness. It was out of this pof- poverty and suffering that John really learned to search for beauty and happiness not in this world, uh-huh. but in God. You know, we're told to kind of put away all those earthly possessions yeah. um, and to believe in the one true God. That's exactly what John did. Mm-hmm. Uh, John joined the Carmelite Order, and after he did that, St. Teresa of Avila asked him to yeah. help her reform movement. Right. So John supported her belief that the Order should um, return to its, its foundation, that being life of prayer. By, but many Carmelites felt threatened by this reform, and some members of John's own order kidnapped him. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I know that story. It's I remember a great that story. about John yeah. the most. He was locked in a cell six feet by ten feet, and he was beaten three times a week by the wow. monks in his own community. There was only one tiny window high up near the ceiling, um, yet despite the darkness, the coldness, the despair, the desolation, his love and faith were like fire and light. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had nothing left but God, and it's, it's amazing, Deacon Pedro, when we're really put in that situation where we believe we have nothing, we are at our rope's end. Yes. You know, that's yes. when we see God Rock alive on. and active in our life. Yes. 
After nine months, John escaped by unscrewing the lock on his door and creeping past the guard. Really? Yeah. So taking only the mystical poetry he had written in yeah. his cell in his time there, he climbed out a window using a rope made of blankets. Okay? Uh-huh. So with no idea where he was, St. John of the Cross followed a dog to civilization. So he hid from pursuers in a convent uh, where he read his poetry to the nuns. From then on, his life was devoted really to sharing and explaining his experience of God's love. So uh, St. John of the Cross left us many, many books of practical advice on spiritual growth and prayer that are just as relevant today, really, as they were back then in the day in the 1500s. So as we continue in this preparation of Advent, let's look to St. John of the Cross for, um, for some advice, for some spiritual growth, hoping that he will help us to grow in our love and appreciation for the Christ child. Absolutely. It's going to come very yeah, soon. Very soon. Nice. Good. And if anybody's looking for any good uh, reading, they should read uh, the, the Dark Night of the Soul. Oh, yeah. Which is Excellent. Saint, very good. St. John's, uh, one of the, his most so famous poems. So we remember his feast day today, December the 14th. Yep. St. John, pray for us. Excellent. Thank you very much. Andrew Santos, your saint expert. Hi, this is Michael Paul from the Jacob and Matthew Band. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can find Salt and Light Radio on Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1. Visit us and like our page and also visit us at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and stay connected for a chance to win cool music prizes from our featured artists. And now it's time for... Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. Danny, welcome back to the program. Last time you were talking about press releases and today we're going to be talking about supporting documents, right? So fact sheets, info, photos, media kits, other things that journalists might be interested in, correct? Absolutely. I mean, the the premise has to be, you know, to what extent is our organization or our campaign interesting? And a lot of times, you know, when you answer that question, you got to think of, well, what are the fast facts? Who are the people uh, who are delivering the stories, the exciting personalities and and, and some pictures? Are there some simple graphics? So all of these can be a wealth of information, offer a wealth of value to journalists and help you build those bridges with journalists. Okay, good. So you're calling all these supporting documents or like a media kit. So what what would be part of this media kit that should be there? The first one that I always think about is a fact sheet. Because a, fa- a press release is, is good. It's a, it's a uh, you know, in-the-box, uh, perfectly uh, formatted article for journalists. But then the facts, it, it allows you as the newsmaker or as the storyteller to distill, well, what are we really talking about here in terms of uh, number of people involved, people who have attended, number of people who are helping, dollars raised. Right. Uh, it's really the facts, the nuggets, the core of the information. And, you know, also, maybe if you're weak on facts, if you can't come out of this fact, uh, you know, finding mission on your own with your church or your campaign, uh-huh. if you don't have many facts, then you can look at, okay, well, what are the amazing human interest stories that I have? If you put them in paper in a bulleted list, it allows you to share the core of the news with journalists, even if your news release is kind of weak. Okay, I see. Okay, so facts. Anything yeah. else? Absolutely. Facts, then you have, um, you know, I love anything that's graphic, so pictures uh-huh. or infographics that are really taken off in social media. So infographics is just a chart, uh, a pie, anything that's visual that shows, shows a process. Um, I know that the Archdiocese of Toronto and many other archdioceses and dioceses are great at doing backgrounders on things that are very churchy or, or difficult to, to understand, to, like yes. when a cardinal 
Yes. Uh, you know, so there's many like the vestments. Yeah, I remember when the the conclave they were describing the the vestments, and they did that with a graphic. Yeah, and and at Salt and Light, Father Thomas Rosica is very good at saying these are teaching moments, and teaching moments Absolutely. requires schematics and graphics, as as you would in school. So I love infographics; they're great. It yeah. just takes someone to have a graphical, you know, design inclination. Yeah. And then images, and the images, it's not a boring, contrived picture of people just squarely looking at the camera like at my, you know, one-year birthday anniversary. No, huh. it's got to be action shots. Yeah. And those are my particular favorite. And if you look at uh, Canadian Press or Associated Press or Reuters, you get the best pictures. And I think we as a church community should look at, you know, uh, photojournalism uh-huh. and try to get some good pictures share them with the local paper or, or the Catholic reporters in the area uh, or anyone who might be interested in the story that we are uh, speaking about. Okay, so we got fact sheets, infographics, photos, action shots. Is this all, would you call all these uh, media kit or is a media kit something else? A media kit, it, it picture a, a folder and inside you put all the relevant pieces of information. So in uh-huh. a media kit, for sure you can, the pre- can have the press release, the fact sheet, the infographic, the pictures on a on a USB stick or, or what, whatever way, but also there's bios of those uh, yeah, the main okay. actors. Then there's testimonials or feature stories or full fledged you know human interest stories. So you can write an article yourself and see how far it goes, and they might use you your article and say, hey, can I just credit you and use you as a byline and put you as the author, right. a, a guest columnist. And then later on we can talk about op eds and letters because a Catholic organization or a church group should be engaged in the dialogue with the press and the dailies across North America, they always have their opinion pages and letters, and we should take the time to write a letter, which would be short, or write an opinion piece, which, should be, which would be longer, and get involved in the dailies and not allow bridges, or sorry, not allow walls to exist between us and secular media. Right, and, or allow other people to write the article. So we're going to talk about op-eds probably next time. Sure. Um, so, okay, so supporting documents that go with the press release, fact sheets, infographics, photos, make sure they're action shots, testimonials, bios, even an article, all that packaged as a media kit, post it online or make it available to the journalist somehow uh, so that you, we're giving them as much information as possible to help them out. Absolutely, and, and there's got to be people in, in the organization that have an interest on this, to, on this, uh, to this topic or that are studying it at a local school. Perfect. Okay, great. Great advice. Danny Torquia, thank you very much. Happy uh, Blessed Advent, and, and, and we'll talk to you next week uh, you, for our Christmas show. My pleasure. Danny Torquia is our public relations expert. He's also the managing director of Torquia Communications. You can follow him on Twitter, at Dan Torquia. This is Joe Morales. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can download our podcast for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and also off iTunes. And here now is Sheridan. Hello, Pedro. Hello, friends. Have you ever been to a Catholic Mass that uses the Anglican Rite? No, actually, no, I have not. I know, that's really interesting, and I wanted to find there out... There uh, is. But around here? Oh, yeah, in downtown Toronto. Really? Yes, in fact, they do, and it's really, really interesting. So I decided to speak with Deacon John Hodgins. Now, he's the administrator of the Church of St. Thomas More to find out more. Deacon John Hodgins, so glad to speak with you. Nice to speak with you, Sheridan. So what is the Anglican Use Mass? The Anglican Use Mass is a uh, is derived from the traditional English English of the uh, Book of Common Prayer, 
um, but it is fully a Catholic Mass in, in, in the sense that uh, elements that are missing from the Book of Common Prayer for Catholic theology are there. The Roman canon is actually in a form of traditional English, oh, very. Uh, very much like what uh, Anglo-Catholics used uh, over the last uh, century and a half. That's very interesting. So what sort of parts of the Mass would be slightly different? Well, much of it is sung, and it's sung to at uh, St. Thomas More, at the church where I am in downtown Toronto, sharing the Sacre Coeur. It's, su- it's sung to traditional English tunes, um, and of course we have settings in English that are uh, that accord with the Missa de Angelus. For example, the Nicene Creed is sung every Sunday to the, the tune of uh, the Credo in Missa de Angelus, and we have a wonderful choir that leads us. Oh, very beautiful. So. I want to get a sense of how this all works in the big structure of the, ch- the Catholic Church. I mean, what is a personal ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter? I mean, how was this established, and how do you fit into the big picture here? Right. Well, there are a number of ordinariates. People may be most familiar with the military ordinariates that are non-geographical. They're kind of like dioceses, but they don't have a ge- geographical uh, area. Right. In other words, the bishop uh, ministers to those people wherever they are in the Canadian ordinariate, military ordinariate, all over the world. So what this is is a structure for uh, Anglicans who are coming into full communion with the Catholic Church, as well as other Protestants, and even Catholics who were perhaps baptized but never catechized. And uh, Pope Francis has made it very clear that part of the new evangelization is for us uh, all Catholics to reach out to people, and so they are welcome to participate in the personal ordinariate uh, if they meet those criteria. I mean, it's not particularly for um, cradle Catholics of the Latin Rite, uh, which <laughs> most people in the West are. Uh, however, they're welcome to visit, and of course the sacraments are valid just as they are in the Eastern Churches, the Ukrainian Catholic and other churches. So everyone is welcome, but those who want to belong, either marry Anglicans or former Anglicans or are Protestants or uh, un- unconfirmed Catholics. Very interesting. Now, you were recently ordained as a deacon in the Catholic Church. Share some of the highlights of that day. Yes, well, it was a beautiful day. It's, in, as I said, in downtown uh, Sacré-Cœur Parish, which is a French parish, the traditional uh, downtown French parish, where, which we share with the gracious uh, hosting of L'Abbé Justin, uh, who actually was there to uh, assist, to read the Gospel, and to clothe me as a deacon. Uh, after the Cardinal had ordained us, and, and uh, so he's become a good friend. Uh, we share the, the building, we share the expenses, uh, and uh, we, we really are, in that sense, very Catholic. Uh, also at Mass, we're people of Asian background, of Mennonite, and various other backgrounds who've all come into communion with the Catholic Church. So in, the, in a sense, it was a very, very Catholic or universal celebration. And I found that very moving, to, that uh, there were so many people of different backgrounds, uh, although we worship in English and we, we value that, that Anglican uh, tradition of, of great church music. So what are you looking forward to as a community? Well, we're looking forward to those who are seeking uh, beauty and worship, uh, to join with us in ministering in the, in the downtown area. We're very close to Ryerson University, and we're in Cabbage Town. So there are many opportunities. As a matter of fact, this morning I was out uh, passing out some, some posters with our upcoming Christmas liturgies. We have a midnight sun mass at 11.30, of course, and, and other uh, seasonal liturgies. So I 
was going into Our Lady of Lourdes School to meet the principal and to hand out and to put up posters around the community because many people, many people who are Catholics or who love beautiful music would be looking for um, a midnight mass, uh, Christmas Eve, or, or some other celebration. Well, it all sounds like very good work. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Deacon Hodgins. Thank you, Sheridan, very much. I was speaking with Deacon John Hodgins. He's the administrator of the Church of St. Thomas More in downtown Toronto. That's very, very interesting. Thank you, Sheridan. And for all our listeners, don't go anywhere, because coming up in our second half hour, arguing that human life begins at conception and a voice crying out in the wilderness of Spain. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. We've spoken many times on this program about the argument about when life begins, when human life begins, and when we become human persons. Now, this argument is being presented in a Toronto courtroom thanks to the case of Mary Wagner. Her defense rests on the argument that human life begins at conception. Earlier this week, we spoke with her defense attorney, Dr. Charles Lugosi, as he was driving back from visiting Mary in prison. Dr. Lugosi, welcome to the program. How are you? Good, thank you. So I, I know you're driving. You've just come back from, uh, from visiting Mary. Can you tell us a little bit about who Mary Wagner is? Mary Wagner is a um, young woman in her 30s who is a devout Catholic and sees her mission in life to uh, protect the lives of unborn children who are about to be killed. So how does she go about doing that? her mission? She uh, enters into the reception area of an abortion clinic in Toronto where she uh, has roses and uh, literature that uh, proves that uh, fetuses are unborn human beings. She's trying to save their lives by persuading mothers they have other options, they have choices. She's uh, she's there with offers of support, financial um, love and other things to uh, to persuade uh, these pregnant women from stop stopping the abortion process right and now in Toronto Ontario is is what she is doing against the law well um, it depends who you speak to uh, <laughs> she's on she's under a court order uh, not to enter an abortion clinic because she's done this before uh-huh and uh, so technically According to the law, she's in breach of a court order uh, called a probation order, uh, and and so some people would argue that's a crime. She's also interfering uh, with the operations of the business of the abortion clinic, and some people would also say that is also against the law. Uh, Mary says uh, that uh, it's out of necessity she's there. She's the last line of defense. To, um, to stop or prevent an abortion. She believes that uh, the law, which enables someone to exercise self-defense uh, to protect others under their protection, applies in her case. She says she places these unborn children under her protection. She says others extends not only to born human beings, but unborn human beings. And therefore, she says she's lawfully using the self-defense sections of the criminal code. Right. Um, I, but I, I think the 
I think the sticky point is this, that even if she brings herself under the self-defense protections of the criminal code, the criminal code itself has a definition section which says that a unborn human being is not a human being. In other words, a child that is not born alive is not a human being. And uh, that's what makes this case especially interesting is because uh, Parliament of Canada has decided it has the authority to, to decide uh, when a human being is a human being for the purpose of law. Right. Now, as we all know, everybody's a biological human being from yes. the time of conception until the time of death. But just think of a disabled person or a very old person or a very young person. And if the Parliament of Canada says it has a lawful authority to make those decisions as to who is and who isn't a human being, we're going... I believe, uh, past a bright line that protects all of us from uh, uh, from crimes against humanity. Right. So that, 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 that's why this case is so vitally important. It attacks, Mary's defense actually attacks the business of abortion and the Parliament of Canada's uh, power to pass laws that define who is and who isn't a human being. So and our Constitution of Canada is um, governed by two principles. One is the rule of law, and the other is the supremacy of God. And our Constitution also provides for freedom of conscience, specifically, as well as freedom of religion. So it's different from the American Constitution. But the important thing is, is that Mary is saying that laws in Canada must conform to the rule of law, which is different from just obeying a rule. The rule of law actually is a moral component, like Dr. Martin Luther King says, right. an unjust law is no law at all. Right. And I, I think our American friends can understand that. And Absolutely. so what Mary is doing is basically she's a civil rights leader in terms of saying the unborn are denied their civil rights and their innocent people being executed without due process. That's exactly what's going on. Right. So you're, you're, the, you're the defense lawyer. Is that basically the argument of your defense? That gives you a, a summary of the gist uh, of the defense. The, the prosecution's point of view is that uh, is a very strict, narrow, technical one. The Parliament of Canada can pass any law it wants to. The Parliament of Canada uh, has passed laws, so those aren't interfered with, and court orders must be respected. It's the same kind of legal structure that Germany had in the 1930s under, under Hitler. People there obeyed the law. They, they decided who was and who, who wasn't a human being, and they um, acted accordingly. But yet at Nuremberg, uh, the American and British judges all found judges of Germany and lawyers of Germany guilty of crimes against humanity for obeying their orders and following these kind of unjust, morally unjust law, because the American judges at Nuremberg in particular understood the difference between the rule of law and rule by laws. Right. And this is the problem in Canada. Many many judges um, and lawyers are not fully trained in appreciating the difference. And, and so people tend to blindly uh, follow precedent and just blindly follow rules without questioning the morality or the moral legitimacy of these laws. It's natural law that in the end, Nuremberg was superior to positive law 
which is simply man-made rules. And, and, and so this is what the struggle's about. It's really a monumental struggle on many layers in this right. case. Right, so you're and not... And that's why it's such a vital case, and it's so vigorously opposed. In fact, the abortion clinic hired lawyers, and they said if Mary is successful, that's the end of abortion in Canada. So that is really the ultimate compliment, I would think, to uh, Mary's struggle. Right, so it's not just a simple case of someone breaching their probation, you're actually challenging the legitimacy of the law or the injunction. Well, think of it this way. If you have uh, a restraining order and it prohibits you from going within 50 meters or 50 yards of a house because that's where yep. you're not allowed to go, but the house is on fire and there's children screaming for help in the window, one would think, out of necessity, you could trespass, disobey the court order to save human life. That's essentially the way Mary thinks. Right. She says that uh, these court orders are not binding on my conscience because I'm serving a greater good by saving human life that's defenseless and innocent. I'm their last line of protection. Right. That's her point. Now, can I ask you a question about that injunction that prohibits someone like me from protesting abortion, and I'm not sure what the, is it 50 meters from an abortion facility? Is that the law in this city or in this country or this province? Well, in, in Toronto, there's only one facility that has a injunction. The clinic where Mary goes to has no injunction whatsoever. Okay. So um, it all depends where you go. You, I mean, most of the facilities, if not all except one in Ontario, uh, don't, do not have an injunction prohibiting you from attending there. So anyone, any so okay. So then, that I think is 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 a misconception that a lot of people have, that we uh, anyone uh, outside of that one abortion facility in Toronto, anyone can protest abortion in the in, within the property limits of any abortion facility. Uh, yeah, uh, this freedom of expression is guaranteed under the Charter of Rights. Interesting. Interesting. And uh, do you know if that how different that is in the United States? Does it vary from state to state? Well, it, it's listen. You have your First Amendment rights in the United States. You can, uh, but sometimes there are um, there are injunctions or there are court orders saying you can't go within so many feet uh, of the front door so that you don't obstruct people who are trying to go in or, or leave. Right. That sort of thing. Right. But uh, in the in the United States, uh, you have similar issues in terms of uh, limits on protests. Right. Now, I'm speaking to you on Tuesday. I know you're going back to court tomorrow, Wednesday. Is this going to be a long, drawn-out trial? What do you expect? Well, we're taking it a day at a time. Uh, right now, uh, we're hearing uh, from witnesses called by the prosecution, people who are employees of the abortion clinic. And, uh, and so we had the abortion... Uh, a doctor who's the medical director testify last day we were in court and she said some absolutely very interesting things and I think your listeners would dearly love to know this one point if I can just share this with you yes uh, there are 12 year old children who are going in for abortion without parental knowledge or consent that is the law in the province of Ontario these children are merely told by the doctor that there's there's they're just going to remove tissue from their body they are not informed of the science of embryology to say that they have a living human being within them. They are not told the truth. That is a lack of informed consent. Yes. The irony here is my 12-year-old son, who goes to a Catholic school, has to get a letter of permission 
signed with my informed consent yes. just for him even to attend mass. Yes. So if you if you can imagine, a child has to have permission to go to mass, but the child does not need permission to go ahead and get an abortion. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people do not know that. Now, is there other than praying? Is there something else that you, people we can encourage people to do? Is there a way that they can find out what's happening with this case because it's not being covered by the media? Well, our resources are very limited. We're on a shoestring budget, we could sure use help by way of of expert witnesses, people who are doctors who are, who are willing to come to court and say an unborn uh, fetus is a human being. We need experts. We need money because it takes a long, lot of money to to uh, to cover all the expenses and the time required. We need uh, secretarial support, that sort of thing. Remember that we're going against all taxpayer-funded opponents in terms of the prosecution by the Liberal government of Ontario. They could admit facts, but they choose not to. Yeah. They choose to oppose. Any admission of fact, uh, for example, that an unborn uh, fetus is a human being. Interesting. So they are forcing us to prove absolutely everything, and they're fighting us every inch of the way. Interesting. It's all politics in the end. Yes, yeah. Well, Dr. Charles Lugosi, thank you so much for speaking with us today. I know you're driving. You're a busy man. Uh, we wish you all the luck with this, and we will direct our listeners to uh, where they can get more information so they can ho- help you out. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate uh, your interest, and I thank your audience, and I do use my Bluetooth, so I'm driving legally. Yes. So, so there you go. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Dr. Charles Lugosi is a defense lawyer in the Mary Wagner case. You can find out more about Mary Wagner and how to help by contacting Dr. Lugosi at his website, charleslugosi.com. You can also find out more at Pro-Life Prisoners of Conscience. Just type that in your search engine pro-life prisoners of conscience. Here now is our featured group of the week, Voz del Desierto, with Venid a Mi, which means Come to Me, from their album Me Vuelves a Levantar, or You Pick Me Up Again. La calle está cortada, ya no sé hacia dónde tirar. Mi corazón arde en deseos de volver a amar. Cielo se oscurece en cada paso de mi caminar. En cambio oigo esa voz, viene de mi interior. Estoy desierto y necesito algo de beber Por más que me dan cosas nada puede calmar mi ser Mi corazón reseco quiere encontrar por fin la paz Y vuelvo a oír su voz Viene de mi interior Venid a mí Los que estáis cansados, venid a mí, los que estáis agobiados, y yo, y yo os aliviaré, y yo os aliviaré. 
el cansancio me invade ya Algo empuja mis pasos y ahora ya no puedo parar Alguien empuja hoy mi vida aunque parezca que todo va mal En cambio ego su voz viene de mi interior Vení que estáis cansados, venid a mí, los que estáis agobiados, y yo, y yo os aliviaré, y yo os aliviaré. That was La Voz del Desierto with Venid a Mí or Come to Me from their album Me Vuelves a Levantar. La Voz del Desierto or The Voice in the Desert is a music group from the Diocese of Alcalá de Henares in Spain. Three of the band's members are Catholic priests, and after four albums, they are very well known in all the Spanish Catholic music world, especially in Spain and in Portugal. They were also featured in the film La Última Cena, The Last Summit, a film based on the life of Father Pablo Dominguez Prieto, who died in, a, in 2009 in a climbing accident. And to tell us all about the group and their work, I am now joined by one of the group's guitarists, Father Alberto Raposo. Father Alberto, welcome to the program. Oh, nice to meet you, Pedro. How are you? I am good, thank you. But I'm curious, how do we get three priests in <laughs> in a rock group? How did this group come to be? How was the group formed? Yeah, yeah well, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's a little uh, curious. Yes. Uh, everything uh, began when our bishop wanted to have a special day to celebrate uh, a meeting with all, the, with all the young people of our diocese. Uh -huh. uh, in that special day, uh, he wanted to celebrate a special mass, 
He wanted that uh, there were a time to confess our sins with a priest, uh, to pray together, and, and at the end, he told us to have a party uh, to finish with everybody happy, singing, jumping, and dancing. No, uh -huh. uh, he he said to to us, to be a Catholic person is not to be a sad person. Okay? Right, and, and we were thinking about it. And by the time I was in the seminary, and I found two seminarians, seminarists, uh, yes. playing pop music in a room. I asked uh, them if they wanted to, to create a, a band for that special day, and that was the, the first step. No? Right. And then, when, when we had uh, our first concert in, in that meeting, the young people asked for recording those songs. No? Okay. That, that was, mm -hmm. So you were, a semin uh, you were seminarians at the time? The three no, no, I was a priest. Oh, you were already a priest. I, I was the superior of the of the seminary. Okay. And, and yes, and, and I I had to 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 teach the the seminarians, and and the bishop was uh, very happy when I I told him that we are we were going to to have a band. No? I see. Okay, so you were the rector of the seminary. You had seminarians yeah, who were musicians. Vice rector. Vice rector. Vice rector. Okay. Yeah. Now, but there are three priests, but there are also there are six members in the group, right? So who are the other people? Yeah, seven. We, we are. We are. Uh, we are seven. No? Seven. Uh, yes. Yes. We are priests. Three of us. Yes. And and the others are, are lays. No. Lays. Lay people. Lay. have our work in different parishes, in, in, and the lays are working. Three of them and Jose. Uh, Joseph, uh, the youngest of the uh -huh. band, is the the drum player. is studying chemistry. Chemistry. He's studying chemistry. So there are four lay people in the group as well, young men. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, w when did you come up with the name La Voz del Desierto, the voice in the desert or the wilderness? W where does that name come yes, from? Yes, uh, our name, uh, the voice in the desert, uh, La Voz del Desierto in, in Spanish, um, it's because we want to be like John the Baptist. No? Yes. We, we don't want to announce ourselves. Uh, we don't want to, to say our words. Uh, we want to show the Lamb of God. No? We want to show uh, who is the, 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 the true Savior of the humanity. No? It's only Jesus Christ. No? And I want to show to everybody that uh, Jesus Christ is our Savior. No? Right. So, And that's very appropriate now during Advent. Um, yeah. We're we're <laughs> proclaiming the Lamb of God, as you said. So so you are not pointing to yourselves; you're pointing to Christ. Would you say that that is your mission as a group? Uh, well, uh, the purpose, the, the aim of uh, of the band is only one. Huh? We want to speak about God. We wish uh, everybody knows the, the the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. No, and 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 uh, it's, it's the only purpose. No, it's the only aim for the, only for purpose. the band. Huh? Yes. Would you? Um, when you started the group, were you playing music that you yourselves composed, or is it uh, how uh, who writes? Because the music is new music, right? You're writing music as well. Yes, yes, yes. we compose uh, all of uh, the group, and and, and it's uh, it's it's better because uh, the music is not uh, always uh, the same, no? Yes. And there, there there are a lot of kinds of of music, pop, rock, or ballads, or, or similar, no? And that is because all of the of the group uh, can compose, no, uh, the right. lyrics and, and the music. Right. So you play guitar, and yes, yes, I play one of of the guitar, yes. electric guitar. And are electric you, guitar. And uh, are there any songs that you've written yourself? Yes, yes, uh, I, 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 I have, I have written. Uh, I don't know, but uh, many. Uh, a lot of the of the of the four CDs, uh, and for example, the 
the the title the, the Lord gets me up again it's uh, it's it's mine it's mine okay good I wanted to ask you about that because we are going to be listening to that song very soon that is your first English song is that correct yes yes it's, it's the first why did you want to write a song in English because uh, we think that uh, uh, nowadays uh, you have have been in a in a world today yes uh, you have to realize that uh, everybody in English, no, and it's the the language of the present, and it's the language of the future, no, yes. and, and and the language pop, no, and the language of the rock, no, and and uh, we think that it's very important, no, to to show uh, to to speak about God in, in Spanish or or in English, no. Right. How? What impact have you noticed, or or what re response have you seen? among young people when they see three priests with their collars doing rock music? <laughs> yes, it's curious because uh, sometimes uh, they ask uh, us if, if we uh, are two uh, Real priests. priests. Yes. Yes, <laughs> but, uh, but we are, we are, <laughs> yes. And, and, and uh, a lot of people... Uh, uh, say to us that uh, uh, when they are going to the university, when they are doing uh, their homeworks and or in their headphones, no, and and they they are uh, listening to the music, no, uh, listening to the pop music, to yes. the rock music, and if the lyrics of the rock music, if the lyrics of the of the pop music is uh, Catholic uh, words, is uh, are, are Catholic words, no? Are, are the, the, the the scripture, no? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's better for us. It's, it's better for them, and, and it's better for us, no? Right. And and a lot of people want uh, want to 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 listen uh, this kind of, of of words, no? In pop music and in rock music. No? Yeah, of course. Now, can I ask you a, a personal question? You've been a priest. I'm not sure how long, but you're you're a professor. You mm. music probably played a role in your vocation. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up being a priest? Uh, yes, uh, I I like uh, music uh, from since uh, I I am conscious I, I I like music, no, and I grew up uh, with music, uh, with pop music, with rock music. I I, I had a, a band of uh, pop music uh, right. before I. I began in the in the seminary, you know. Yes. And and the music uh, is it, always uh, with me, you know. Uh, has been always with me, and it is uh, still always uh, uh, with me. And I think that music is an instrument, uh, important music, uh, important instrument. It's not the most important of my faith, faith, but it's uh, another thing more in my in my vocation, in my in my faith, no. Yeah. And a lot of songs. Um, Speaking me uh, are speaking me about God, no, and and they are helping me to to be a, a good priest, no. Yes, well, Father Alberto, um, thank you very much for spending time with us today, for all the work that you're doing as a priest and as a musician. Um, uh, we love the music and we're very happy to play it. So it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, you're welcome, Father. Thank you very much. Father Alberto Raposo is one of the guitarists of the Spanish rock group La Voz del Desierto. You can learn all about La Voz del Desierto at their website, lavozdeldesierto.es. We're going to put that link on our website so you can find it easily. They're also on Facebook and Twitter. Just look them up, La Voz del Desierto. 
And if you'd like to win a copy of Me Vuelves a Levantar, their latest album, go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio and enter your name and email address. We're going to be announcing our winner on our next show and posting the winner on our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Here now is La Voz del Desierto with their English language song composed by Father Alberto. It is titled, The Lord Gets Me Up Again. Listening to La Voz del Desierto with The Lord Gets Me Up Again from their album of the same name in Spanish, Me Vuelves a Levantar. And that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where we post links to our artists or guests. And that's also where you can now stay connected to win weekly prizes from our featured artists. Write to us and comment on what you've heard on this program, radio at saltandlighttv.org. Look for us on Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1. You can also look for me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro. I'm also on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. Salt and Light Radio and the Salt and Light Hour are ministries of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. Learn all about us at saltandlighttv.org and learn how, for less than the cost of a coffee a day, you can be part of supporting our ministry by joining our Guardian program. Thank you for listening. Hope you're having a blessed Advent season. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. I don't want to leave a fiction. I prefer to read the wheels.